As we uh, finish up our series, How God Meets Your Deepest Needs, I have a question for you today because this is, this is the last sermon of this series, and, and I have a question. Is there any doubt, and you on Facebook, I want you to play this game too. I see LaVonda's here, so she won't be typing. She's normally one of them that types, and so um, you can get on your phone and type it if you want to, LaVonda. Um, is there any doubt that Jesus was the greatest person to ever walk the planet? Before you respond... Let me just say that he was the wisest person to ever live. He was the kindest person to ever live. He's the only virgin-born person to ever live, regardless of what your mama and your daddy say about you. Um, He's the only sinless person to ever live. So since those things are true, is there any doubt that Jesus Christ is the greatest person to ever walk the planet? Your proper response is this. All right, I'm going to ask it again. Is there any doubt that Jesus was the greatest person to ever walk the planet? Yes, Yes, thank you for playing. And and if you really want to get into it on Facebook, type no doubt in all capitals and three or four exclamation points because that shouts no doubt, right? Need the right? Okay, whatever. Since that is true, I believe this with all my heart that he's the greatest person to ever live. Since that's true, we should really pay attention to what he says about greatness and how you can become great. He offers you the opportunity to become great, but I don't think it's what most of us assume it is. Here's what he said in Matthew 23, 11. The greatest of you must be a... a What? Wait, what? There's a difference in a slave and a servant. Jesus, the greatest person who ever lived, said you need to be a servant. He also said this in Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to do what? Now, this this son of man, this is actually used 88 times in the New Testament, this title. It is Jesus' favorite title for himself. It goes back to Daniel chapter 7. It is a messianic title. When he says, for even the son of man, he's saying, I'm the Messiah. And as the Messiah, son of God, sinless son of God, who's going to die for the sins of the world, I came Not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. So if the greatest person who ever lived said, to be great, you need to be a servant, and you need to give up your life and serve others, if we are going to be great, what should we do? We should serve others. We don't have any choice. Now, this applies anywhere in life, right? So if you go to a business and they don't serve their customers, how long does that business stay in business? Not very long, especially in the cancel culture and our, in our social media world where, you know, 800 people could immediately, and some of them not even real, could immediately give a, a bad review of your company and your company could go under because they don't serve. If you go to a hospital, what, should, what do you expect the staff to do? Serve you or you serve them? You're laid up in the hospital. Am I supposed to serve? No, you're supposed to serve me if I'm in the hospital, wherever it is. It, this is universal. If you don't serve others, then your business or your church is not going to last very long. So if we want to be the church that God approves of, we've got to learn to serve others like Jesus served. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at a time when Jesus elevated serving to the absolute highest possible level. It was so significant that the guy who wrote it down, it changed his life then. And years later when he was writing the letter we're going to read, it changed his life for the rest of his life. And it actually shows not Jesus talking about greatness, Jesus showing us what greatness is. And um, I I just want to say that no other religious leader in the history of the world ever did what Jesus is about to do in this story. 
This event takes place in, in a room above a, uh, above a house where Jesus and his disciples were meeting to have the Passover meal. This is the night before he's going to die on the cross. Jesus knows he's about to die on the cross. His followers have no idea he's about to die on the cross. And, and so we need to pay close attention to what Jesus says and then what Jesus does. Because I'm going to tell you, the very first motivation for serving, for you to serve, for Jesus to serve, is love. We serve because we love. The Bible actually gives us the why in the beginning of this story. If you have your Bibles, if you want to follow along on version or, or uh, BibleGateway.com, you can pull up a whole bunch of, of different translations at the same time on BibleGateway.com. But we're going to look at John chapter 13, verse 1, and here's what this says. Before the Passover, so Passover is where they're celebrating the Israelites coming out of Egypt and, and the death angel passed over their house because they sacrificed a lamb, put the blood on the doorpost. If the death angel came, saw the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, the people on the inside, the, the oldest child would not die. They're celebrating that the night before Jesus is going to die. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew, and I just want to stop right there and say Jesus always knew. You see this all the time. Jesus knew, Jesus knew, Jesus knew. What Jesus knew, listen to me, always determined what Jesus did. Jesus knew that his hour had come. He knew he was going to die within 12 hours. He was going to be hanging on a cross. He knew that his time had come to leave this world and return to the Father. So look what he did. He had loved the disciples during his ministry on earth. So for three years, he's loved his disciples and he has demonstrated his love for them. And it says, and now he loved them to the very end. Love is the highest motivation to serve. Jesus was fully aware of what the next 24 hours were going to bring, but he wasn't focused on the pain and the suffering of the cross that was going to happen the next morning. Actually, he wouldn't even sleep that night. He would be beaten. He would be, take, he would be forced to carry the, the cross beam of his cross out to Golgotha. He wasn't focused on that. What was he focused on? He was focused on showing his love to his disciples. And you want to know why? churches fail, why ministries fail, why ministers fail, it's because they have the wrong motivation. They're not motivated out of love. They may be motivated by the fear of, of people. They may. A lot of people in churches are motivated by the applause of people. Why'd you do that? Because I wanted, I wanted people to know. I wanted people. This is like the Pharisees. If you pray loud and long, to try to impress people, God says, the people who heard you, that's the only, that's the only benefit you're going to ever get out of that prayer. He said, you go into your inner closet, and you fall on your face, and you cry out to your heavenly father. Your heavenly father sees what is done in secret, and he blesses you. There's a lot of people that want to serve. They want a title. You know, 20 years as a, minister, as a pastor of this church, 19 years as a youth minister in Southern Baptist churches in Texas, and I can't tell you the number of times people would come to me and they say, would you announce from the pulpit that I am the men's leader? And I'm like, no. Why? Because if I have to announce it to the congregation, you're not the men's leader. You go and serve those people out of love, they will elevate you to leader, whether me or any other minister ever mentions your name from the pulpit. Ministries fail because somebody says, oh, I need to be in the spotlight. And God will not share his glory with you or anybody else. And, and I'm just going to tell you, if I, if I were to stand up here and try to brag about my ministry, I would be in fear for my life because God will not share his glory. He'll give, you, he'll give you love, compassion, mercy, grace, but he will not share his glory. Everything that's done from Genesis to Revelation is done for the praise and the glory of God, not man. 
And when we get screwed up in churches, and this church or any other church, is when we start competing for the applause of men. And we're not going to do it. You'd have to be motivated by love. Jesus was about to face the most brutal execution known to men. And he chose to serve. He chose to do something that no one else in the history of the world has ever done. No other religious leader has ever done. Now, i got a question for you. How many of you could say, i got to read this the way I wrote it down. How many of you could say that every moment of your life has been perfectly, purely, continually motivated by love? If you start to raise your hand, I'm afraid the person next to you is going to slap you. And they definitely won't be motivated by love. Get your hand down. (laughs) See, the question is not, are you perfectly motivated like Jesus was? The question is, are you growing in your motivation to love? Are you growing in your love for God and your love for others? This is spiritual growth. If you are the same level, and by the way, you're not the same level spiritually you were right now that you were a year ago. You either are closer to God or you're further away from God, and it's your choice whether you're closer to God today or further away from God. Don't blame anybody else, not your spouse, not your kids, not your job. It's you. You made a choice. You're as close to Jesus as you want to be. So you're never staying still. You're you're like a boat out on the water, and you're drifting somewhere. And in order to go to the shore we want to go to, you don't drift to that shore. You have to make a conscious choice that I'm going to grow in my my love for God and my love for others. That's the sole basis for whether you're you're growing up spiritually is are you more loving towards God? Are you more loving towards people? And, And the more you love God, the more you're going to love and serve his bride, which is called the church the more you're going to love and serve the body of Christ, which is called the church. So if love is the greatest motivation, and and we know that that that's that's the benchmark of spirituality, how do we grow? Because, you know, I was thinking about this. How many movies have been made where they're looking for the fountain of youth? Jack Sparrow. He's got the goblet. I don't even know what it's called. He goes in, and he's ready to, he just needs a drop of the fountain of youth. Is there a fountain of youth? I have not found one. But is there a fountain of love that I can drink from that when I drink from it, I immediately become more loving towards you? Oh, yes, actually there is. It's the love of God. The same guy who recorded this story in John chapter 13 records in 1 John. So there's, I call it just John, and then there's 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he wrote all of them. So we're looking at just John 13, but we're going to jump over to 1st John 4, and it says this, whoever does not love does not know God because God is what? He is love. Not he, he is loving. He is the essence of love. And then look what it says in verse 19. We love, you and I, followers of Christ, love because he first loved us. If you have not been loving, I guarantee you it's because you've not been drinking from the fountain of God's love. If I'm a punk and I can be a punk, I know that comes as a surprise to most of you. He's just the most loving pastor. He just hasn't been around me very long. The moment I'm unloving towards you, you, I can guarantee you I am not drinking from the fountain of God's love. Because when I drink from that fountain and you abuse me, I reflect back to you what my Savior reflected to me off the cross. There is a fountain that can make you more loving. 
and it's God. It's really that simple. When I'm unloving, I've been drinking from something else. I'm drinking from the fountain of hate, power, fame, lust, whatever. And it makes me act unlovingly. But I guarantee you, when I drink from the fountain of God's love, I will treat you as my heavenly Father treated me. Now, your love isn't now, your love isn't now, nor will it ever be, enough. Now, some of you are like, well, I'm a pretty loving person. I, will, I, will prob- I would probably put down money, if I was a betting guy, that most of you are more loving than I am. There's some of you in this room that you, you could live and people around you could live for two weeks on the amount of love that you have. There's some people in this room that the people around you could live for a couple of days. And there's a whole of you, a lot of you like me that people are going to live about five minutes on the amount of love you got in your life right now. It's never going to be enough. When you drink deeply from the fountain of God's love, you have the freedom to love others. You have the freedom to forgive others because you realize how much you've been forgiven. We were talking about this. I think Matt and I were talking about this. When you're at the foot of the cross, I don't look at Matt's sins. I don't even know Matt's there. I look up and I say, oh, my sin put you there. And then if Matt hurts me and he says, Doug, will you forgive me? Of course. I'm drinking from the love of Christ. I got no option but to forgive you. What would a church look like if everybody practiced love like that? Would there be any empty seats today? Where do you get filled up with the love of God? It's what we've been talking about for these past five weeks. It's through the word of God. How can a young man keep his way pure? Uh, David asked in Psalm 119, 9. And then he answers his question by keeping it according to your word. And then he says, with all my heart I've sought you. Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you want to find the love of Christ, you're not going to find it outside the the, the word of God. You find it through prayer. Prayer is air that we breathe spiritually. And, and if you're gasping for air spiritually, look at the amount of time you prayed in the last week. Directly proportional. Because the more time you spend praying, the more your heavenly Father breathes his love into you, the more you reflect the love of Christ to others. And then believe it or not, believe it or not, you learn the love of Christ in God's church as you serve with as you serve others, as you do things with them, as you encourage, as you bear one another's burdens, the love of Christ is multiplied in you because he can trust you. Now, I'm not saying you're always going to love what you do in the church. How many of you say, you know, the thing I missed most about having a baby is dirty diapers. I love dirty diapers. The dirtier, the better. You know those sticky ones? I'm going to stop there. That's my favorite. I was so sad. I cried for a week when my child started potty training. If you're in my house, it doesn't matter if your grandson is potty trained because I'm his, par- his, his, his poop buddy. I'm not making this up. He decided one day, pop, pop, I got to go poop. I will praise Jesus. And the rest of the family's like, yes, pop, pop is the poop buddy. I'm like, well, let's go get this over with. And, and, and I'll say to him, I'll go, are you serious? Because it's usually right after we sit down to eat. Pop, pop. 
are you serious? And, and then when I'm walking in the bathroom with him, he'll go, are you mad at me, Papa? I said, no, buddy, I'm not mad at you at all. I just want to know, are you messing with me or are you just needing to mess? I don't know what you're doing, but either way, let's get this over with. Because think what, when your ch- children are in diapers, you're praying to God they're not still in diapers when they're 16. There's something wrong with that, right? I'm not saying you're always going to love them, but the reason that you change your child's diaper or your grandchild's diaper is because you love them and you're like, Lord, let's get them grown up. And then when they get grown up, what do you do? You weep because they leave you. That's, that's part of what we're supposed to do. I know a whole lot of Christ followers that are still in diapers. They've been repeating the same first year of following Christ for the past 50 years. That's a problem. Would you agree with that? Should not be that way. You get close to God and you let him love people through you. You drink from the fountain of his love and you serve others. And as you do, you grow up. You don't grow up apart from serving. Could that be why there's so many Christians who are not growing up? Because they don't serve anybody. We serve because we love. Number two, we serve because we know who we are. Oh, I love this part of the story. My favorite part of the story. John 13, verse 3. Jesus knew because what? Jesus always knew. But I want you to see what he knew in this case. See, the first time it says he knew that tomorrow he was going to, you know, he was come from the Father, it's time to go. Look what he knew this time. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. If you know you have authority, you don't have to go around asking for authority. You don't have to go around saying, hey, did I do good? Just see that? Here's my 877th picture of the same pose. Did you love it? You just liked it. What's wrong with me? Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, that he had come from God and would return to God. Because he knew whose he was, and he knew he had all authority, don't miss this, because he knew he had all authority. He got up from the table, took off his outer robe, wrapped a towel around his waist. How could he do that? Because God's son knew exactly who he was. He knew where all of his authority came from. And it wasn't what the Pharisees called him. It wasn't even what his disciples called him. It's what his heavenly father called him. He had all authority. And how many people do you know with authority in this world would wash somebody else's stanky feet? I'm asking. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about the current president, but any president of the United States over the past 227 years. How many of them would willingly get up and wash congressmen's feet? And hey, you need to serve me. You need to serve me. Jesus knew who he was, so he got up and he served. The right type of servants know who they are because they know whose they are. They belong to God. And and people who, who are confident in their identity in Christ are good servants. People who aren't confident in their identity in Christ make horrible servants. Because they're always, did I do it right? Is that okay? Would you applaud for me? Can I give you a helpful hint? I'm going to whether you say yes or no. If you're only in it for the applause of people, you will quit every time. 
So I'm going to I'm going to put a little phrase that we say around here. Some of you may not know why that we do this, but I'm going to I'm going to say this again and then I want you to say, "I know that's right, baby." And I want you to have attitude, right? So here we go. If you're only in it for the applause of people, you will quit. How many of your children affirmed you when they were four and five years old? Oh, mother, thank you for that sandwich you made me. (laughs) Mom, those two swats you gave me the other day changed my life. (laughs) How many of your teenagers said, thank you for taking away my phone? You're awesome. Do it again next week. If you're lucky, when your children become adults, they come back and they call you blessed. If you're lucky. But I told my kids then, and I think I've told them since then, that I didn't parent them to be popular. I said, I have to answer to God for the way I parent you. You may not like it. Too bad. I was talking to Praying Pelican Board this week, and I said, I said, you know, we're, we're talking about some controversial stuff, and, and it got, it was crazy. We talked about one topic for over four hours yesterday. Uh, I mean, on, on Friday. And so I, I finally said, I said, look, I'm not standing. So I looked at the president of Praying Pelican Missions. I said, I will not stand before, God, before Jim Noreen when I die. So no offense, I'm not making my decision on whether Jim Noreen, the president of Praying Pelican Missions, approves of my decision or not. No offense, Jim, love you. But I don't give a rip. I'm, I'm making my decision based on what God thinks. There's a pastor next to me, and he's going, yes, me too, you know. If you serve hoping that someone will make you feel better about yourself, that's a form of codependence. It's putting another person in the God position in your life and and getting all of your identity and affirmation from them, and that's idolatry. That's a form of spiritual identity theft, and it has a much longer, uh, much more profound impact than if someone steals your credit card number. My spiritual identity is in Christ, and, and, you know, yes, I am human. I do have feelings. I've admitted that twice in 30 years to Janie that I have feelings. But if I'm, if I'm up here do, making decisions based on what you think, this church is in trouble. Those who serve like Jesus, they know everything comes from God and everything we do is for his glory and, and we serve to please him whether people notice or not, whether people like it or not. Third reason we serve is to meet needs. This should, this should be intuitive, but it's not. The night before Jesus died, there was a very obvious need in the room. Do you know what that need was? Dirty feet need to be cleaned. Do you think anybody other than Jesus noticed there were dirty feet in the room? There's at least 24 dirty feet in the room. 12 disciples, 24. I was in a tent in Peru when my tent mate took off his shoes after we did a 12-mile hike up to 14,000 feet and back down. That dude has some toe jam that just, I can, today, I can still smell it. And I laid down in my tent that night, and I was like, dear God, 
<laughs> Help me to sleep. <laughs> Give me a bucket so I can wash his feet. See, they walked around on dirt roads all the time, and so their feet were always dirty. When they come in, if you have 24 dirty feet walk into your house, what are they going to get all over your house? Dirt. So there was an obvious need. Somebody needs to wash these feet. If you can't get your kids to wash their hands, can you imagine if they had to wash their feet every time they came in the house? That's what they did. I want you to think about the disciples' day. So somebody, actually it's Peter and John, Jesus says to them, go to this house and I want you to prepare the Passover meal. When we're talking prepare, it's not like in a box. You don't, you know, you don't call DoorDash and get your, your Passover meal set up. You have to go and take the lamb and you have to... You have to clean the lamb and you have to cook the lamb and you have to get all of the stuff and so Peter and John go and make preparations and I'm sure Peter and John were like you other dudes need to do something because I've been slaving over this hot lamb all day and you need to do something I already did something so so it's not my turn to serve I already served it's your turn to serve they play this game I cooked the lamb it's your turn to serve well I set the table it's your turn to serve I want to ask you where is that in the scripture I, I did this, so it's your turn to love those people out there. It's your turn to change a dirty diaper. I did it the last 17 weeks in a row. It's your turn. Is that in Hesitations 411? By the way, there's no hesitations in the Bible. Just making sure you know that. Where does it say love one another when it's your turn? Where does it say serve one another when it's your turn? See, Jesus knew what was going on. He knew... This is going to blow your mind a minute. He knew what was about to happen with his disciples long before he ever goes to trial. And so what does he do? He gets up, son of God gets up, verse 5. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. On the night before he's going to die for the sins of the world, he's, he's scrubbing muddy feet of some ungrateful people. Are you really going to tell me that something in the church is beneath you? Literally, what's beneath scrubbing 24 muddy men's feet? Some of those diapers. God in human flesh is showing us what ministry is about. He's showing us that if you want to be great, you have to stoop. And that's literally what Jesus did. He stooped down. Why did he wash their feet? Well, there's two reasons. Number one, their feet were dirty. Number two, they were proud. He's about to die, and he's about to leave, and he said, I cannot leave proud men in charge of my church. So he had to, he had to show them something. And by the way, this was not a religious ceremony, right? We, we've kind of made it that. I don't know if you've ever seen one. It can be a very meaningful thing, but it wasn't a religious ceremony. It was just somebody's feet were dirty. Somebody needed to wash the feet. Jesus said, I'll do it. That's ministry. Now, let me just ask you, what, what does it mean to wash feet today? It just It simply means... To meet someone's need. Doesn't matter what it is. <laughs> there are really two types of ministries, two types of serving you need to do in the church. Whether it's this church or you go somewhere else, there's two types of serving. There's pressing need ministry. Let me tell you a pressing need we have right now. It's called meal train, right? So uh, Teresa's mom died and there were a bunch of people signed up. And, and um, uh, let me say this. I know a lot of people signed up because it's Jeff and Teresa Gillis. They signed up because they have served the church. And I get that. We want to bless Jeff and Teresa Gillis. 
But it's wrong not to sign up for somebody else who needs a meal train just because you don't know their name. I want to be the type of person that serves them. I know Jeff and Teresa are going to be served, and they know we're going to do whatever we can to help them. But, but just because it's Jeff and Teresa, that's not the only reason I serve. You don't know somebody. You don't know what it might mean. We were on a cruise a while back, and Janie was talking to a young girl, and, and she just felt prompted. She was a dancer, and she was talking to her about a whole bunch of stuff. And just at the end, Janie said, can I pray for you? She actually went back. She walked away, and this, the Lord prompted her. She went back and said, can I pray for you? And this 29-year-old girl from England said, no one's ever asked me that before. Don't just sign up because it's Washburn. Now, don't neglect the Washburns. We're about to have another grandchild on Tuesday of this week. We're going to induce, Lord willing, we have everything's. So, so you, can sh- you can teach me a lesson and not sign up because it's a Washburn, <laughs> and I'll get it. But do you understand what I'm saying? Everybody who has a need. So we just had um, the Oberlanders just had um, their baby girl. In fact, they were in the same room when Hannah had to go in because she had high blood pressure. They were next door, and their baby was born. And So sign up for that meal train. Sign up for I don't care if you know that. What does that have to do with it? Absolutely nothing. So there's, there's pressing need ministry, and that's stuff like, here's just some pressing needs we have every week at church that you could do. You don't even have to ask permission to do them. Um, meal train, take out the trash. You would blow your teacher's mind if you got a kid back in kids' church and if you walked up to get your kid and said, hey, can I take out the trash for you while I'm here? They'd be going, the heavens have opened. <laughs> you can wash dishes out here. You can go put them in the, in the dishwasher. You can take them out of the dishwasher when they're done. You don't have to stay here the whole time. The next time, you can take them out. Um, you can work kid check. We have a secure system back here because we want, we want to make sure the only people who get the child is the ch- person who drops off the child because we have a church of, no offense, but y'all are messed up. And so we have, we have all kinds of marital status and, and, and somebody may try to come get your child that, that's, a, that's a legal person, but if they didn't drop your child off, they're not getting back there. We do have people with guns. I'm not making that up. And there have been times that we've had a report and we've said somebody, was, somebody may show up. We've locked down the church. You didn't even know it because our security team has locked down the church to protect you and your child. Work kid check. All you got to do is stand there and tell people how to type their phone number in. If you don't know your phone number, that could be a problem. But then it prints out, you know, work kid check. Come early to pray. One of the things I love about guest services is when we're in here worshiping, you know, we're practicing the band and, and there's going to be some point during our rehearsal that those doors open and they come and they start. Some of them walk around and pray. It is the most meaningful thing to see people praying over our services. You could come and pray. You could walk around the building. We used to. Miss Sharon used to walk around our building when she could and, and just pray over the building. Those are some pressing things you could do. You really want to step out? Talk to Tammy and sign up for Kids Church. <laughs> you need to be in both, both types of serving. 
Now, the other type of serving is spiritual gift-based ministry, and I'll just mention this very quickly. You are shaped by God. If you're a Christ follower, you're shaped by God, and that shape stands for, it's an acrostic, uh, an acronym. So shape is spiritual gifts. You have at least one spiritual gift if you are a Christ follower. Heart is what you're passionate about. Um, Jeff one time went back and taught in the children's area, came out, and his white hair was sticking out like, a, like the professor on Back to the Future, you know, um, and his eyes were wide, and we're like, I don't think you're passionate about serving children, right? And so we're I know that's right, baby. So, so he could have the spiritual gift of teaching, and, and somebody else might have a spiritual gift of teaching, but their heart is in children's ministry. We discovered that with Tammy because she tried it out. And all of a sudden, she fell in love with our children, and she, and, and she gets meaning and purpose from serving our children. A is your abilities. That's like natural abilities that God gave you in the womb. You get a spiritual gift after you come to Christ. You get your natural abilities many times in the womb. So you may, you may be good at numbers. You may be good at, 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 with hammers. You may be good, you know, whatever it is, you have natural abilities. P is your personality. Would you agree that some of us have different personalities? We did, I said this, you heard that. That was awesome. The red and the blue and the yellow and the green. We still talk about that in our small groups. Oh, well, you're a red. Well, you're a punk because you're a red. Well, you're green. You're a pushover. You know, I don't know. We just make fun of each other, but, but we're having a good time with it, I think. Aren't we, Casey? I just, he's green. Uh, aren't we, Casey? Um, and then E is your experiences. Your, your shape the way God shaped you, he intends for you to be involved in that ministry for the rest of your life, whether you're at New Life, whether you go off to college, whether you marry and move to another city. He has gifted you to be involved in that ministry for the rest of your breathing days. You need to be involved in both. You need to be involved in pressing need ministry and in spiritual gift-based ministry. If you begin to meet pressing needs, I guarantee you your, your heavenly Father will show you what your spiritual gift is. And give you opportunities that will blow your socks off. And teach your kids how to, how to do this. Take them on, on, uh, on mission trips with you. Because here's what's going to happen. Some people are really confused about this pressing needs type ministry. So you're walking along and you see trash in the hallway. You see trash out on the parking lot. You see trash somewhere. And, and your thought is, well, I'm not really shaped by God to pick up trash. Who's shaped by God to pick up trash? Everybody. Maybe not my nephew. My nephew was born with no hands. I'll give him a pass. Zach can walk past and, and not reach down and pick it up. He, he hadn't got any hands. Waylon said, <laughs> Waylon asked him where his hands were, and he goes, you just got elbows. That's what it looks like. He just has elbows. So, okay, Zach is not shaped by God to pick up trash. But you are. <laughs> You're part of the church, every one of us. Pick up trash. Do what you got to do. Number four, we serve imperfect people. I'm going to fly through this. Dadgummit. Are there any other kind of people other than imperfect people? Okay, so here's the thing. Jesus served his disciples. His disciples are so imperfect that right after he serves them the Lord's Supper, look what happens in Luke 22, 24. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered the greatest. Are you stinking kidding me? Jesus just served them. I'm better than you. Hey, Jeff, did you see my piece of bread was bigger than your bread? It's because he likes me better. It's the third time the disciples have argued over this. 
And this particular time, it's right after the Lord's Supper. Earlier in the week, Jesus came in, they shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And and I think, this is not in the scriptures, I think that they were thinking, it's time for Jesus to sit on his throne, and he needs somebody at the right hand, he needs somebody at the left hand, and actually that's what was going on in one of these stories. James and John, the sons of thunder, the sons of thunder's mom comes to them and says, Jesus, can my son sit on your right hand and on your left hand when they come into the kingdom? And and then the other people are indignant when they heard about the other disciples because they didn't think of it first. That's what I think. So Jesus serves all of these disciples, and they're about to, they're about to fight over who's the greatest. They think he's going to be on the throne. He's like, no, dudes, I'm going to the cross. Can you believe these guys? Jesus washed Judas's feet. John 13, 2, the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to, de- to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, and he still washed his feet. People are going to fail you. And if that's the reason that, that you're, you're serving, you're not going to be very happy. Now, I know that people hurt you, and some of you may have been hurt in a church, and you have to take time to heal. But if you're still not serving 10 years later, the problem's with you and not the church. He also washed Peter's feet. Jesus moving around the room, and he gets to Peter, and look what Peter says in John 13, 8 and 9. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. He had a, I, think he just, I think he had the rabbi voice going on. Not my feet. You may wash their feet, not my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter says, then wash my hands, my head as well. Lord, not just my feet. In that case, give me a mani, a petty, a, a shampoo, and a blow dry. And Jesus like, no, dude, you're already with me. I just need to clean your feet. And it's like if you're already in the kingdom of God, all you have to do is confess the sins. You don't have to put Jesus on the cross again. Peter goes from absolutely no to definitely yes in one second flat. And that's the cool thing about Peter. You always always know what he's thinking. He's kind of like some of your relatives in holidays. You know what they're thinking, whether you want to or not. You're just trying to survive. That was Peter. Jesus looked at Peter and he goes, oh, Pete, Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat. And Peter's like, you don't have to worry about me, Jesus. All these other guys, they may fail you, but I'll go with you to the death. And Jesus said, Before the rooster crows tonight or in the morning, you're going to deny me three times that you know me. (laughs) Jesus knew that Peter would deny him, and he still, what did he do? He still washed Peter's feet. Did that stop Jesus from serving Peter? No. So what's stopping you from serving? And if people tell you they don't need to be served, you serve them anyway. That's what Jesus did with Peter. So here's the thing. Everyone has an equal chance to be great in Christ. And here's how you do it. You put aside your ego and you serve others. That's greatness. You need to stop taking selfies and start taking UEs. Thought we might be getting a little too serious there, so I had to throw that in. Number five, we we serve because we think of ourselves less. The Greek word for humility means to stoop, and that's what Jesus did. What, so last week I asked you, what, what type of worship does Jesus love? Do y'all remember what it was? What kind of worship? Nobody remembers. Wholehearted. Somebody remembers that. It's probably the reading my transcript back there. <laughs> what kind of ministry does Jesus love? Humble ministry. 
when, John's, when John, James and John's mom talked to Jesus, he pulls them all together and says, hey, guys, because the rest of them were indignant that, that they asked that they could sit on the right and, and left hand of Jesus. Jesus said, I know that's what you see on every kingdom on earth. But he says, look at this, Matthew 20, 26, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great must become your servant. It's a secret to greatness. C.S. Lewis said this. This is awesome. He said, if anyone would like to acquire humility, I think I can tell them the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. If you don't think you're proud, you are. If you tell us you're not proud, oh, dear Lord, we shall pray for you. All right, verse 12, chapter 13. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down, and he asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I am your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. That just means meeting a need, not literally. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I've done to you. When they walked in that room that night, everything was there for somebody to serve and wash feet. The wash basin was there. The water was there. The towel was there. Do you know the one thing that was missing? A servant. The room didn't come with a servant. And so the Son of God said, I'll do it. I don't know if you know this or not, but those rooms back there in the children's church, they don't come with servants. Somebody has to step up. The coffee doesn't make itself. This building doesn't come with things already prepared. It needs servants. All the ingredients are here every Sunday. So what are you going to do about it? You're going to be like Peter? Oh, no. You're going to be like Judas? If you want to be great in God's kingdom, you have to serve. Jesus has one more thing to say on this subject, and we're finished. Verse 17, he says, now that you know these things, God will bless you if you do them. You don't get credit for knowing it. I'm sorry if you, if you didn't know this was a serving message. I'm sorry that you now know this because now you're held accountable for what you know. And God says, I'll bless you if you do it. Now, I want you to visualize for a moment that Jesus is washing your feet right now. I want to ask you how you would feel about that if Jesus were to walk in this room, put on a towel, and come to your chair, remove your shoes, and wash your feet. If you feel guilty about that, then you need to be reminded that he died to save you. He died to wash away your sins. And they'll never be held against you again. And so you ask Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. And and he will wash your heart. And he will wash your feet. And you'll have fellowship with him. Some of you, some of you, you're just like, no, I, I keep falling into the same sin. Well, like he said to Peter, I just need to wash your feet. If you're my child and you fall into this sin, I need to wash your feet. You need to be made whole. You need to confess your sin. I'll forgive your sins. But then you probably need to get into, if you keep doing the same sin over, you need to get into small group at the least, and you probably need to be in Celebrate Recovery. People will walk with you how to get free from your hurts, your habits, and your hangups. So let's pray this prayer. I want you to bow your heads, and I'm going to say it out loud, and I want you to repeat after me. And, and you know, whether you, whether you mean it or not, there's going to be somebody in the room that means it, so I just want us all to say it out loud. Jesus Christ, I want to live a great life in your eyes. Fill me with your love so that I can love people with dirty feet. Help me serve because I belong to you. Here's my life, Lord. Please use me, Lord, to build your kingdom this week.
We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.